This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie. I'm Danielle. Are we going to be sued <laughs> by the... By the ghosts of Chubby Checker? <laughs> yeah, our big bopper. Oh, big bopper. <laughs> I don't even know if Chubby Checker's dead. I apologize. I got the wrong person and the wrong state of living, possibly. You Mandela-affected Chubby Checker. Oh, my gosh. I did hard, but yeah, how you doing? How's this week? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> um, oh, what a day. Um, I have to reveal a secret. Mm-hmm. Today is my birthday. Second birthday in quarantine. That just feels mean. God damn it. I mean, <laughs> honestly, dude, it's cursed. It is a fucking cursed day. I will never have fun on my birthday ever again. Can we change your birthday? Like it's the birth date stays the same. Like you were born on March 23rd. <laughs> but the day we celebrate your birthday is now in like September, just to be sure. <laughs> I, I truly think I'm allowed that. I think I'm allowed to have a different birthday because honestly, the past three years have been terrible. Like, the first year I was in the hospital or recovering from near death, literal near death. The second birthday was last fucking year, beginning of COVID. And this year, again, COVID. I'm just like, come on, people. We're changing it. Win. We're changing it. You'll be like, yeah, yeah, I was born on March 23rd. We are celebrating now on September 1st because I will be pre all the people going back to school post-holiday, in the summer, pre-holiday, in the winter. Like, I'm just going to claim that as my day to celebrate. Wait, so what is September 1st astrologically? Is that like a Virgo or something? What What is that? I got to look that up. It might, um, oh, it is. It's a Virgo. Oh, I am. Mm, I don't know if that is me. What, you, what's, it what's is a Virgo. Okay, I'm good at. I'm actually good at that. What's an astrological sign that you enjoy that is not yours? Oh my god, this is a fucking perfect question for me. Um, I think about this all the time. Honestly, I probably. So I'm an Aries. If you didn't know about <laughs> astrology, uh, like everybody should know, um, I'm an Aries, but. I have a lot of air in my chart. Yes. As, so as they say. We get along so well. Triple That's Gemini. Because you're a triple Gemini. Which talk about being cursed. <laughs> I am sun, moon, rising Gemini. That is incredible. And <laughs> actually, it's so funny you mentioned that because I do have a friend who's like 
he's real witchy and he when i told him that he was like holy shit i have to read her chart like asap and i was like all right i'll tell her and then i forgot to tell you i'm sorry about that um but yeah apparently that's a an incredible thing for you to be triple gems i mean incredible could go either way good or bad it's incredibly good or incredibly bad or just incredibly you know it's what it is. But you are you do have a lot of air in your chart, which is I do. I and, and that would, I think that's kind of my answer then. I think I'd probably be a Libra. Nice. I like I would I would moonlight as a Libra, maybe. Let's I get, mean I like yeah. interior design. So I guess maybe I don't know. And that is the the symbol, the the star chart for the Libra is just like a paintbrush and a tape measure. Oh. <laughs> Like, isn't that what it like in the sky? You look up and you're like, there's the tape measure of Libra. <laughs> yeah. Next to it's the basically horse. like that's <laughs> that's pretty. Uh, Annalise, our engineer, they just told us that Libra is the sister sign of Aries. So there you go. I well, guess I there it is. Right. There it is. What about you, though? What would you be? Oh, I would be a Gemini through and through. <laughs> See? I would never, ch- never change these stripes if you paid me money. And I hate it when, like, you know, how every once in a while, like every few years, people are like, well, you know, there's really an extra sign and there's really your chart is not accurate and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I am a Gemini. I am fully through and through a Gemini. I can't even imagine being another another sign. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine you being one either. I mean, I might... I think I think maybe if if I were to assign you a, a different sign, I would think maybe an earth sign, mm. to be honest. I think I would think maybe just because I know you like spreadsheets and I know you like organization and it's just like you have practical matters. You're you have yeah. practical matters, practical matters. But I'll also pop off. You've been on you. You've seen a lot of my pop off emails and voicemails and real life pop offs. Actually, you. <laughs> Actually, if you're if someone's a Virgo, it's you because Virgos are like, will tell you exactly what they think to your fucking face. How dare you? But yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, now everybody hates us and we're going to get 100 million emails from every sign saying, fuck you. I got it wrong. Um, But anyway. But thank you for being here with me on my birthday. Uh, another <laughs> this is literally this doing this podcast on my birthday is the greatest. On top of that, the past few weeks, because I know we had last week off the past few weeks with this bracket. I mean, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I love our listeners. That's all I can say from recommendation from your submissions to your voting. Y'all are wild. and you know i here we here we were thinking we'll be happy with one submission like we were like oh if we get one we'll be cool (laughs) hundreds later hundreds i think the first literally the first like six hours there was like 300 submissions or something like that in like six hours which i mean you know to me that's insane like that's that's insane to me it feels like also universally insane i don't know the reception of it is wonderful and we're of course talking about the is it good or was i horny bracket which is taking place on our instagram account um Mm -hmm. but the reception is wild and y'all are hilarious and i just the the very thank you for sending in your very revealing submissions um there were some that made me laugh so hard 
and they didn't make it under the chart. They didn't make it into the actual bracket. But there's some real like, you know, when you think when you really stop and think about is it good or was I horny? Your mind takes you places. Mm -hmm. The wind song stays on your mind. (laughs) Totally. You you float back and you're like, oh, wait, wait, because everyone was there are a few people who were like picking one is hard. And I'm like, yeah, I know. There's been a lot of bad movies out there made under Mm -hmm. the guise of horniness. So I know. I feel it. We feel you. We feel you. And we we have about a week left, mm-hmm. right? Like, give or take. Um, so honestly, anything can happen. As we know with... Actually, I don't know. Is it like... I, I like a little sports, but I don't really get... I don't really know a lot about college basketball. I don't really know much about the <laughs> March Madness. It's like, you know, I'm like, the drama. I'm sure there's drama, right? I'm sure. Is, are they picking teams? Is that what they do? Like, I don't even know how. They, do they, like, switch teams? Like, oh, you were a Nick, and now you're a Seattle Supersonic or whatever. Like, I don't know how it goes. I think those are NBA um, teams. Oh, but, right. Uh, yeah. Right. See, that's where I am. That's where I am. <laughs> Name one college basketball team. I can't. I All can't. I know is Duke. That's yeah. the only college basketball team I've ever known. For two reasons. Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner. <laughs> yes. 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 Christian Leitner and the Duke lacrosse scandal, which isn't even basketball. But Christian Leitner, I had the hots for that dude so hardcore in the 90s. Oh, I cannot even believe we both said that. I I swear to God, I love you more than ever after you said that shit. Because I was like, I mean, Jesus Christ, like that whole shit that was going on. What was what year was that like? That was like late 80s or something like that. Where it was like the basket Duke's basketball team and was at the University of North, like North Carolina. And it was like this huge battle, like 1991, 92, it was definitely definitely 90s because I was in high school for sure. So it was like 91, 92. But yeah, it was wild. And I this is how it happened for me. I genuinely walked by the TV screen while my brother was watching basketball and I was like. (laughs) Er, who's that and he's like get out of my way and i'm like i'm suddenly very into college basketball for this moment oh my god like he so christian Leitner. i mean if you're listening christian just know we're not crazy um we he won't be listening what are you nuts look you never know pandemic is hard the pandemic is hard maybe he needs some movie wrecks he probably has kids at this oh my point. God. I'm sure I'm, he's got I kids am, he's trying to escape. He's in a closet somewhere just like we are. <laughs> I am dying. This is actually, this ties into my birthday because one year when I was, I think I was in high school. Maybe it was in high school. Maybe it was early college. There was a brief period of time where Christian Leitner played for the Hawks for Atlanta. And I got my dad to buy me and three of my friends Hawks tickets for when he played for the Hawks and I was the happiest person ever. I think that it is the coolest ask, but that is the coolest gift. Like that you asked and your dad did it. You're both number one cool in my in my book right now. <laughs> like forever. Yeah. And of course, I mean, we don't know 
It's so funny because as much as I actually enjoy basketball, to to see it, to see it, even though I literally have no idea what's going on. Like, I love looking at it and I love that. Like, there is an excitement to it. I don't get the excitement, but I feel <laughs> the excitement. Do you know what I mean? Where I'm like, everyone's well, yeah. on, on their feet and they're like yelling and but I don't know why. And that's exciting. Like all live sports are exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But it was that thing where there was four horn dog ass teenage girls in like the nosebleed section of the Omni, which was, I think what I think it was still the Omni in Atlanta and had not changed over to Phillips arena yet. And we were in the fucking 400 section with no one around us being like Christian. <laughs> we love you. We don't know anything else about this game. And your dad was like sitting floor side and he's like, yeah, you guys sit up here and have fun. I'm going to actually watch the game. I got myself one ticket. If I know my dad, he was not even at the game. He was literally driving around <laughs> listening to NPR. He was driving around the arena. Like, <laughs> that's how i know that like that's what what my dad does oh god i love it so much i love that we connected just that was a genuine genuine amazing little kismet moment we have never talked about this before but let me tell you next year for your birthday for your for your virgo (laughs) birthday we're going to christian leitner's house i'm gonna make this happen i'll be like we're showing up for dinner here we are. It's her birthday. It's her second birthday, not her actual birth date. Just go with it. And we're just going to like look at you for an hour across the dinner table and leave. And that's what's and, up. And this middle-aged man is going to open this door and be like, why, why, what has happened to my life that two podcast hosts are stalking me? Like what? Talk about cursed. I am fucking cursed. Oh, <laughs> have, have I not suffered enough? Did he, he played <laughs> no. for like the Timberwolves or something, and then I lost track of him. I lost track of him. I'm like, me eh. too. I was like, what? Like after a while, I was like, there's too many teams, and I just forgot. He was probably the last age appropriate person I had a crush on, though. Because after yeah. that, I'm like, how old are you? No. Do you not have a single gray hair? Get out of my face. Yeah, because and that's interesting that you say that because he was in college when when he was famous, right? When we knew right. him, you know, so he wouldn't have been that much older than us. No, he wasn't like a 45 year old man as if we as our typical bullshit is like, <laughs> we're, like I have a crush on a World War Two ghost. <laughs> I have a crush on 60 year old Paul Newman. We are we are eventually going to have to turn over every episode of this podcast for some kind of like evaluation, some kind of psychological evaluation. Like when our pa- when our families are trying to get us like hospitalized permanently when we both have like dementia or whatever, they'll be like, just listen to one of these and it'll give you when, the full when we spectrum. become ad astrid, this will be in our file. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, gosh. Well, what are you doing for your birthday? Like, how can we can we help you celebrate or make this better today? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Besides th- uh, the voting for the bracket, my truly my one wish for this birthday is to just read mail. <laughs> Let's read our mail bag for we my birthday. We can make birthday. that happen. Let's make that happen right now. Uh, so we basically have been getting a lot of great mail about the bracket, but we also did get some stuff that we love. In terms of the bracket and people um, with you know writing in about their suggestions, I have not watched it yet, but I understand that Bridgerton is very horny. 
we're talking film here, okay? Every day we, we, <laughs> we stray further from God's light. And if you're trying to put Bridgerton in a film bracket, you're too horny. You're too <laughs> horny. <laughs> Is that the Shonda Rhimes show? I feel like that's the kind of show that could give me a premature heart attack. Because it's the way people talk about it, it is so horny that I'm like, I can't go from zero to Bridgerton. Is it hornier than Scandal? Because Scandal was fucking insane. Bridgerton is like Victorian horny. Scandal (laughs) was horny for sure. Repressed, repressed Victorian horny. Repressed ruffle horny. It is across the board hitting all the buttons. So yeah, Bridgerton is not going to be in our bracket. (laughs) But you're already having your own bracket and we've already deemed it too horny. But the other emails we're getting are wonderful as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as a reminder, you know, when you write to us at I saw what you did at gmail.com, we read all that shit. We read it all uh, and we love it. And also just want to let everyone know in case it wasn't obvious that sometimes we do pull mail and read it on the air. And please let us know if you would not like us to do that. Just know that if you write in, it may be featured on our mailbag segment. And that's the disclaimer we'll give. Exactly. And if you want to throw in a pronoun, if you please do, because if you think they might read this and incorrectly identify me, by all means, tell us your pronouns. My pronouns are she, her. So are mine. And yes, we would love that. We'd love anything that you you would want us to say about you we won't give last names or email addresses or also social security numbers i know that's a bummer but you know just stuff like that um do you want to start do you have you got something you pulled already yeah i pulled an email from meryl and meryl writes in hello ladies I'm a 24-year-old designer about four months into my first full-time job out of university. Congratulations. I find myself now wondering what the hell to do with myself now that I've achieved the goal I've been working towards for the last five years. Have you got any inspiring, quote, life goals films for a young woman now entering the everyday of adulthood? Well, thank you for writing in, Meryl. I, I have two unorthodox suggestions just based on this first sentence or this first paragraph of what do I do with myself now that I've achieved the goal I've been working towards for five years. My first suggestion is going to be promising young woman. Mm-hmm. Just go with me. Just go with me. <laughs> this is a movie about a young woman who quits who she leaves medical school after the death of her friend. And in the course of the film, you find out why. I'm not saying you should go on a killing spree. I'm not saying you should try to get into this life of of crime or duping people or taking the law into your own hands. However, what's interesting to me about that film is that we don't see enough films where people stop doing things. And I think that something to keep in mind at 24 years old is that you might feel like this is the goal that you've been working towards for the past five years, it might not be the goal for your entire life. So whatever this job is that you have, if you get to a point where you feel like this is not fulfilling or this is not what I want to do anymore, give yourself some room to still have a chance to kind of learn and grow. And maybe you grow out of that job and maybe you decide to pivot to something else. Um, Again, hopefully it's not crime. But but give yourself at 24. I, I, I now at 43, my resume reads like I was on the run from the law. I've had so many careers and so many jobs. And if I had stuck with the one I had at 24, 
I would not be in this seat right now and I would be a much unhappier person. So just, you know, give yourself room to grow. Keep this job as something that helps you achieve the things you want to achieve now, but maybe don't think of it as the most fulfilling job you're ever going to have. Um, and the other film I'm going to recommend along the same lines is Nomadland. Please stay with me. <laughs> don't turn off that podcast. <laughs> I know she said she's 24 and we're talking about nomad lad, a, a woman in her 50s. But this is something else that's important is that I think that you have to give yourself time to drop out of the grid a little bit and kind of figure out what you want at different stages of your life. So looking at movies that are about people who are doing the exact opposite of what they've always been taught to do or told to do could be helpful in terms of you just kind of structuring that thought process of this is what I'm doing now. It doesn't have to be what I'm doing forever. That's good advice. Good movies to recommend. It's so funny because I have the absolute inverse situation. I started my full-time job at 24 and I still have it. Same job. And, uh, you know, I'm very lucky for that. Honestly, like I landed into a good situation and I love my job, but that isn't the case for a lot of people. And I, I feel like I'm the exception and not the rule. Obviously. Right. But I also think that that is a new thing because I think I, I certainly was told growing up that that is what you should do is just get the job right out of college. And this is who you are for the rest of your life. And I just don't think that that's realistic anymore. So, yeah. And if anybody is down to give advice for career stuff, Danielle, honestly, you have had one of the most interesting lives. We've talked about this so many times please listen to the episode where i interview the fuck out of you but yeah i mean i think that you're obviously a testament to that uh to to saying i'm not gonna be the person that i thought i was supposed to be at any age and i do what the fuck i want to do and i'm successful so absolutely thank you so much but i think and i think in the same way i'm glad that you mentioned that you've had your job since you were 24 because you're a testament to the other side of it, which is that if you know what you want to do, because that's the thing I couldn't quite tell from this email is if it's like I got this job and it was a goal because I wanted it or I got this job and it was a goal because I had to do it. So if it's something that you've wanted and worked for, then Millie is absolutely the testament to that, that you can get a job at 24 and grow with it and work in it and be fully like fully formed as a person. And your job can kind of... um influence your life in a positive way and you can grow with it. So just think about if it's something that you want to be doing or something that you have to be doing and then maybe buy a van and live in it. But thank you, Meryl, for writing in with yes, your question. Yes. We hope it was helpful. We have another question from Rachel. Rachel wrote in and said, hi, Millie and Danielle. Love the podcast. Thank you so much for doing what you do. Not sure if this is a conversation going on amongst your listeners, but please hit us with the spoilers. Ooh. I imagine I speak for a lot of your fans when I say we'd love to hear your take on endings and any other spoilers, please. Your analysis is great, but I also get sad when you stop before the ending. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, oh, this is so deeply fascinating to me. Yeah, me too. You know, I think that... When when we decided to do the podcast, right, I think you and I were basically like, yeah, like we won't want to give away the ending in case somebody freaks out about spoilers, because as you know, people freak out about spoilers, mm -hmm. right? 
So it's interesting that somebody has written in and said, can you actually spoil the movie for us? Right. Um, and I don't know what to think about that. I'm like, is this a trap? Am I being tricked? <laughs> but I'm also like, this is awesome because, you know, you very rarely hear the other side. Exactly. Well, that's just and, and th- what's interesting, too, is that since we mostly talk about older films, I think that we were thinking in the beginning before we were recording and on air and just kind of talking about the podcast, we thought, well, maybe it'll be OK, because most people have seen a lot of these movies. But then we thought, well, if the purpose of our podcast is to kind of open up the world of movies to people, maybe they haven't. And if we spoil it, then what's the point of listening? And so it is very interesting because I think I kind of live in a world where if something has only been out for a month, then don't spoil it because I still have a chance of watching this new thing. But if it's been out for a year or more, knock yourself out. (laughs) Like it's my loss if I don't listen to it or watch it or whatever. So that is, I don't know, maybe we, should we open it up to our audience? Should we like do like a poll of some kind or? Yeah, maybe we'll do a poll. Um, maybe we'll do it after the bracket is over. Yes. But just because there's a lot going on on Instagram, <laughs> but we can do a poll. Uh, OK, so I'll, I'll give you my quick assessment of it, which is that I don't give a shit about spoilers ever. <laughs> like I'm that person where I'm just sort of like, oh, do you just wa- literally walked out of promising young woman? Do you want to just tell me what it's about? Because I'll still see it. I don't care. That's my attitude towards it. And plus, like you said, I mean, when it comes down to it, like a lot of times with older movies, I mean, if a movie's been out for a hundred years, I think it's okay to talk about them ending. (laughs) Um, And I also feel that way about things that happened in real life. So like things that are based on like news, true crime, whatever. I'm like, yo, that happened in the news. Like you're Mm -hmm. not going to spoil I, Tanya, because I know what I, Tanya is about. I mean, just as an example. Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's that thing where I'm like, I don't care, but I know people get really upset by it. And I've gotten into several arguments with good friends of mine about it. And so I don't know. Everyone's different. But yeah, maybe we will open it up and see because, you know, I don't know. It's like, like I said, it's very rare that we hear the opposite opinion of like, please spoil the movie. So I'm I'm very intrigued by the possibilities here. Yeah, I think it's it's. I don't really care so much about spoilers because, again, like I think a lot of the movies that I watch are not affected by knowing the plot. Like I still want to see how it's crafted and how it's done and what people bring to it. So I agree with you. But um, but yeah, let's let's open it up, because what we don't want is a bunch of emails saying, I can't believe you spoiled the ending of Citizen Kane (laughs) and me being like. First of all, we would never even talk about that movie. How dare you? And second of all, (laughs) everyone knows that Rosebud was the fucking slut. It came out 500 years ago. Actually, that is not the ending. The real ending is that a robotic police officer that was built by a corporation comes and blows up Xanadu and the sled. What if if Citizen Kane was just the prequel to RoboCop? Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you as always for your, for your questions and feel free to email us any questions you have about film or themes at I saw what you did pod at Gmail. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
Go to your happy price, price line. I think it's funny that my birthday has sucked for many years, but you know, it is nice to be like, oh, well, you get a little something. You get to talk about um a person that I love and I would love to talk about, and also sort of a recurring theme, I believe. Um because we definitely want to do this again with different people. And why don't you give us the name of the theme, Danielle? Our theme this week is Sissy Spacek is the fucking best. (laughs) Plain and simple. Just there it is. (laughs) It is. It is that fact. Yeah, I have. I mean, honestly, like, I don't know about your thoughts about her. I know that we've already seen and talked about one Sissy Spacek movie so far. Three women. Uh, on an early episode, but also too, you know, I I think that there are so many of her movies that we would put in episodes, um, just because. I mean, I know we're gonna do at least one more in the next couple months, but she's just such a, to me. She's, I mean, she's my favorite actress of all time. What is it about her that makes her your favorite actress of all time? Like, is there? I know there are movies that you love about her, but is there like a particular way she acts or things that like, what was the first thing that you saw her in where you're like, I absolutely love Sissy Spacek. Well, honestly, it's the film that you're going to talk about. That was definitely something I saw very early on in life and thought, holy shit, like who is this woman? And three women, certainly another movie where I just was like, completely mesmerized by her i mean honestly i i think for me is that i just love her vibe i I, she's so interesting to me she has this like amazing ability to seem both like old but then really young when she wants to be yes i'm gonna talk about that for sure because in my film she was 25 playing this teenager the 17 year old and Fully fit the bill. But the same in Three Women, where she morphs into, from this young girl into this adult woman with very simple, subtle moves that not very many people can do. I also really like her because she's got this naturalness to her that I love. Like, it's almost like a raw kind of earthy quality to her that I think actually makes her kind of relatable in spite of, like, the roles that she plays, especially early in her career, that are, like, very know complex and weird and kind of strange because honestly i think that the earthiness comes from the fact that she's a kind of a country gal i mean she's from texas that to me i mean i'll go back i'll go into that in a second because i really do think that the reason why i like her so much is tied to my southernness and you can hear like a little bit of that like texas twang in her voice when she acts and i i love that and you know i'm from the south You know, I I think people probably know that by now. And I think that that is like a part of why I like her so much. I moved to South Carolina when I was five years old and basically lived between South Carolina and Georgia until I was almost 40. So I lived many, many years in the deep South. I like her because, you know, she seems like a Southern gal. She seems like somebody that I can kind of identify with. And, you know, and I will say that the deep South and Texas It's similar, but also very different. Like there's a difference between being from Alabama and being from Texas. Okay, but I love people from Texas. Like some of my favorite actors and actresses are from Texas, not just Sissy Spacek. But I mean, I love women from Texas. (laughs) Did you see The Righteous Gemstones? Did you watch that show? Naturally. 
Okay. The woman who plays Judy Gemstone, yes. Edie Patterson. She's from Texas. I knew it from the moment she started talking. I was like, she's got to be from Texas. And I looked it up and that's totally true. Because honestly, like, I feel like Southern actors see, for some reason, I feel like they're, they seem more authentic. And there are a lot of times they're character actors, which of course, you know, I love. But honestly, it's that when you watch movies and TV, you always hear so many bad Southern accents, right? And you could always tell when someone is a real Southerner because you can tell the accent. Like Edie Patterson, like even like Danny McBride and Walton Goggins or like Owen Wilson, somebody like that. Like, you know, okay, these are people from the South because this is a real Southern accent. It's not a fake TV exactly. one. <laughs> and it's, it's not like over dramatically emphasizing the Southern, because I don't think people think there's subtlety that exists in the South because of these bad stereotypes. So yeah. it is like a totally different experience to hear someone from the South speaking. <laughs> yeah, it's it's way it's way more kind of baked in than, you know, whatever, like fucking Green Acres shit that people knew. Um, but I'll, to get into a little bit of backstory about Sissy Spacek, I mean, she initially wanted to be a singer. And when she was 18, uh, in the late 60s, she recorded a song that was called, it's actually online. You can listen to it right now if you want to. It's called John, You Went Too Far This Time, <gasps> which is a great title. But it's basically this like sunshine pop song about John Lennon and Yoko Ono posing naked on the cover of that album, <laughs> Two Virgins or whatever, where they're just like totally naked head to toe. <laughs> I'm like, wow. She's like, <laughs> she has something to, to sing about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, she didn't have a ton of success as a singer, unfortunately. So she eventually switched to acting. Um, honestly, thanks to some help from her cousin, who is Rip Torn. I don't know if people really know that, but Rip Torn is her cousin. I love Rip Torn too. Incredible. He is amazing. Was amazing because he passed away. Sadly, but I just think it's incredible that they're related. But, you know, at the same time, too, as she was sort of like moving out of singing and going into acting, um, she had a brother that passed away from leukemia. And from, you know, what she's told, it changed her life. Like, basically, it was like a wake up call for her to say that, you know, she should do the things that she wants to do and be fearless. I think it explains a lot about the kind of actor that she eventually became and why we kind of love her. Her first movie, I mean, was honestly, this is pretty insane, but like her first movie was an Andy Warhol movie and she was kind of like a part of the factory for a little while. She was in Women in Revolt. She was just an extra, um, but she was modeling and all this stuff. And her first credited role besides Women in Revolt and some other extra stuff was that she was in Prime Cut, which is this absolutely insane movie (laughs) Where she's basically naked the entire time, like top and bottom. And it's like this crazy Lee Marvin, uh, Gene Hackman movie. I mean, I can't even tell you. It's (laughs) insane. But her breakout role, though, was in Badlands, which is an amazing film. You know, obviously it's about the true crimes of Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugit. And it's her and Martin Sheen. We all probably know and love it. It's a Terrence Malick movie, so it looks beautiful. But yeah, that's where she met her husband, Jack Fisk, who was the production designer on the film. And, you know, and they are still together. I mean, they've had this like kind of amazing Hollywood 
you know, adjacent sort of marriage and they're, you know, they have two kids and one, I guess, I think one of her daughters is also an actor now. I don't know if both of them are, but one of them is. And she just has had an incredible career and she's been in so many good movies that, you know, we would love to talk about. Um, She was in tons of television and she's still working. And I just, I just love her. I think she's beautiful and awesome and intriguing. And, you know, I'm just glad that, you know, you've given me some space to like really go off on her. But um, I can't wait to talk about our movies. Honestly, I know she is amazing to me. And did you ever watch Bloodline on Netflix? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. She plays the mom in that. And it is good. Oh, yeah. It is good if you're looking for another series to get into. Um, But I get excited when I see her on screen. Like, I didn't know that she was going to be in that. I didn't, like, read too much about it before it came out. So when she came out of this house, I was just like, oh, it's Sissy Spacek. Like, you just know you're going to see something good when she's around. She's a phenomenal actress and also just seems kind of like she's one of these these actors who doesn't seem to have been affected negatively by her Hollywood experience. So I don't know if that's because she pulled, if that is because of maybe part of her Southerness that she pulled back enough to like not raise her kids in Hollywood and still live in Texas. And, you know, she really maintained a sense of self that I think a lot of actors of her time lost um, by being kind of sucked into the system. So there's some, some kind of strength in her that I can identify with, with uh, seeing her on film because you need a lot of strength to kind of resist that temptation totally i mean honestly like i'm compelled by older women who are in films now i mean i have always been but i definitely am now and when i see somebody like sissy spacek when i see like francis mcdormand in no man land when i see women who are kind of just sort of like working they are not afraid to look their age it is compelling and I love it. It gives me kind of a hope that maybe like one day we'll move out of the youth obsessed fucking grid that we're living on. And, you know, especially, yeah, considering like where I'm from and sort of like what the type of woman that the South made me, I think it makes me feel like I can identify with her a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm I, I don't know if I'm necessarily 100 percent right about everything but i do feel like i just feel connected to somebody like her and i just love her i just think she's great i love that i love the way it's talked about her on your birthday i think that's really special really special forget christian leitner if anyone knows sissy spacek (laughs) tell her that next year for millie's virgo birthday we're going to her house (laughs) she would shoot us off her porch so fast she would have like an old double barrel shotgun (laughs) Like the old hunting rifle and just be like, I said, get off my property. I don't care if you host a podcast. You got to get the fuck out of here. And she'd be saying it to your corpse because she would shoot first and ask questions later. (laughs) I'd like pull up my long johns and go running away like an old hillbilly cartoon. Well, I'm excited to talk about her and these films. And the movie that I'm going to talk about first is a movie from 1976 called Carrie. It was directed by Brian De Palma. The original story is written by Stephen King, the novel, and the screenplay is by Lawrence Cohen. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. No, 
her see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. Oh my God! I you love picked. It. You picked the movie of all movies. <laughs> I mean, this is. I, people throw this word around far too much, but this movie is truly iconic. Iconic. For several reasons. So the premise, of course, is that Carrie White, played by Sissy Spacek, is a young girl in high school who's kind of a, she's on the out, she's an outcast. She's on the outskirts of her peer group. And she has a very domineering, incredibly religious mother who, as we come to find out through the course of the film, the whole town kind of knows about, like everyone kind of knows what's going on with the whites. But what they don't know is that Carrie has developed the power of telekinesis so she can move things with her mind. And once she finds that out, all hell breaks loose. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I love this movie because my uncle loves this movie so when i was younger and watching like heathers all summer long he would be watching carrie all summer long (laughs) like he loved this movie this is a classic movie in my house and so i saw it very young and i found sissy spacek mesmerizing in this Mm -hmm. movie because she does have kind of an eerie beauty to her where she can really amp up this kind of translucent factor (laughs) in her face. Um, But she was just mesmer. Like I could not take every time she was on the screen. I'm like, what is she going to do next? I could not take my eyes off of her. And this film really it's, it's kind of about the cruelty of children, of course, but it's really about the cruelty of misunderstanding and of not being open to people in general. So we have this this incredible cast of characters. Her mother, Margaret, is played by Piper Laurie. Oh. Another iconic role. <laughs> okay, real quick. On a scale of one to ten, how terrifying is Piper Laurie and Carrie? Go. Eleven. Yeah. I was going to say like 275. <laughs> like Much more accurate. Because she's also doing some subtle stuff with her face that is like, Oh, is she really unhinged? Like when I was growing up, I thought I did not know Piper Laurie was acting. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's crazy because like, honestly, like I think not a lot of people, you would have to go pretty far back to know like about her and the hustler and all that stuff like that. But it's that thing where like, if you're just a child and you don't know the the actor's history or somebody, you're like, this is a real life monster in a yes. human form and she is so scary i mean and maybe that's another i mean i don't know if that's a southern thing too but like deeply religious like do you remember flowers in the attic yes. when they did the, the movie adaptation of flowers of the attic and the louise fletcher mm-hmm. would play the, the deeply religious grandma and they're always wearing these like cloaks and it's like very <laughs> intense eyes and I mean, dude, I was so scared of Piper Laurie. Like, to this, even when I rewatched it, like for this podcast, I was like, yeah. "Holy shit, this shit still hits, man!" Like, oh, Piper's man. coming. <laughs> She's That's got like... that creepy ass Jesus. <laughs> That looks just like her. Yes. There are some th- that's something that I even picked up on as a kid. I'm like, that Jesus statue looks like her. And then when you get to the end of the movie, you're like, oh, damn. Damn. Because that. <laughs> Jesus statue 
is a little, I mean, it's crucial to the plot in a lot of ways, but like it was scary. I mean, I think that that Christianity is 100% single-handedly keeping the cloak business in <laughs> going. They're Yo. keeping the cloak business going. <laughs> cloaks and capes. Y'all, oh. y'all, y'all still fucking with cloaks and capes, people. Hardcore. And what I love about this, so she, she is terrifying, and I truly did not know she was acting when I was a kid. I thought she was just scary. But then you also have Amy Irving, who plays Sue Snell, who kind of starts out like a real bitch, but then gets like a sense of, she gets her humanity back. Um, Tommy Ross, played by William Cat. William Cat. Talk about him in this movie was just all teeth and hair and just youth and vibrance. <laughs> a little bit of a Hubble from totally. the way we were feeling. Uh, I had that written down on my paper. I said, "Tell me about it." He is the Hubble Gardener of this movie. Thank Looks, you. Looks, attitude. Wants to be a writer. Why did I never pick up on that before? Me either. Because I'd never seen the way we were. But now that I have, I'm like, wait yes. a minute. Why, they, and why did the 70s work so hard to try to make us think that all of these athletes were like sensitive writers? Which is why I loved when later in the film, he's like, I didn't write that thing that he read out in class. This teacher who is off his rocker read out in class. <laughs> that teacher is like a bit much. The great Sydney Lassick. Like... <laughs> stone cold freak uh i was like there there was a moment too of the of carrie where the william cat character was like you know she's like why is it so important to you that you you want to go to prom with me and he's like because you liked my poem i was like bitch that is hubble hubble to a t to a t classic fuckboy behavior classic but it's like it's funny because I was actually i had a big crush on william cat because i was obsessed with the greatest american hero yeah. And so uh, when I saw him in Carrie, because obviously I saw a greatest American hero first and then went back and saw Carrie. And then I was like, oh, he sucks. <laughs> Fuck him. Yeah. You had a normal childhood. If you had had the Carrie experience first, you'd be like, then you'd watch the greatest American hero. You'd be like, he's not a good guy. <laughs> like what? I guess people get better. Yeah. <laughs> I guess people get better. It was a lie. It's a lie all around, no matter how you look at it. But then we also have in this film, um, Betty Buckley, who plays a very attentive gym teacher. Attentive and really into corporal punishment. Like, she yeah. was slapping people left and right in this movie. <laughs> Listen, I would have slapped Nancy Allen, too. Let's get serious. She had it coming. This was John Travolta's first movie, too. He'd only been in Welcome Back, Cotter on TV. And then this was his first his first film role. Yeah, he God, that, it's so funny because I I noticed this time around that there the whole thing with Nancy Allen and John Travolta. I mean, I know it's interesting just because Nancy Allen was married to Brian De Palma and they did Blowout and all that stuff. So I'm, it's just funny to go back and see Carrie and be like, wow, look at these two ding dongs. She is the perfect bad girl. Like she is the like, I don't give a fuck about school. I don't give a fuck about Carrie White. I just, you know, Carrie White eats shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just going to go out with my like hot boyfriend and, you know, do a bunch of bad stuff and tell off my gym teacher. Oh, you know? the epitome of that. She really played that to a T. Yeah, it's perfect. And this is this is a film about high schoolers. Like these are all kids in high school and the prom is coming up. Um, the uh, I did read an interview. There was something I read on Mental Floss. And I think it was 15 Creepy Facts About Carrie by Jennifer Wood. This was Stephen King's first story that was made into a film. 
Sissy Spacek was 25 when she made this movie, which I just find fascinating because I fully believe she was a teenager. But Stephen King was basically like, um, yeah, Brian De Palma, he took a more artistic approach with this film than I would have taken because the beginning <laughs> is like basically soft porn. It's like teenage girls in a gym shower. And you're like, what am I watching? And the music is like lilting and very like. It's like I said, it's like I said in the three women episode. I love a psychotic flute and a psychotic 70s font. And that's exactly. Exactly what happens in the in the opening credits. And this it's for a scene that has so much natural horror, because what kicks this movie off is the, the terrifying ordeal of Carrie, who's been raised by a purely religious parent, getting her first period in the gym shower and she thinks she's dying. So she's just bleeding, doesn't know what a period is, and then just kind of crawls out in this creepy crawl out of the shower and starts grabbing at people with her bloody hands. So now, like, Amy Irving, Sue Snell, has, like, bloody handprints on her fucking smock shirt for the rest of the day. And the there's a scene where the gym teacher is talking to the principal about what happened. Oh, man, I love and it. And she's got, like, a bloody handprint on her white gym shorts, and he keeps, like, looking at it like, Ugh. oh. my God. <laughs> it's so funny. I have that written down, too, because I was basically like, I love... That that was a moment to show of this like old, stupid man who's like, ew, period blood. I fucking hate women's periods. You know, it's just that moment of like a guy just being like, I don't know. And I don't care. Leave me out of it. He was also one of these dudes who would fully have just called it menstruation and like pronounced every (laughs) syllable. She's menstruating. Yeah. But it was like, it was a way to open a movie boy. Let me tell you. And I also feel like her telekinesis, she does blow out a light with her telekinesis in this moment because she's so worked up um, and the gym teacher trying to calm her down. I feel like that telekinesis could have come in handy and just like zip some maxi pads over, like zip something, zip zip something over (laughs) to help you out in that moment. But instead you have the cruelty of age and these teenagers who are just throwing tampons and pads at her to the point where Amy Irving just like rips the cover off of the pad dispenser (laughs) on the wall. She's like feral and they're just throwing pads at her and telling her to plug it up. So this is what kicks off this film. Like, you know, she's an outcast. You know that she has not had the same education culturally that a lot of her peers have had and that now she also has this power. And she's what's interesting about this to me is that she also um, in discovering this power, she doesn't instantly know what it is. Like she has to go to the library and kind of read about it and read about the mysticism and read about the miracle of what she's able to do. But then she goes home. And let me tell you about going home to the the White House. <laughs> if you get your period and you live in the White House, you're going to be locked in a closet with Jesus. <laughs> that creepy Jesus closet. Holy shit. And your mom, just imagine anyone out here who's ever gotten a period, just imagine going home and your mom, you're like, hey, mom, school, not so great. Got my period in school. You should have told me about that. And her instant retort is the raven was called sin and you're tempted by the Antichrist. And don't you like imagine that just and I'm sure some of you don't have to. That could have been your experience in a religious household. I don't know. But this is what level she's on where she doesn't speak in normal human sentences. She speaks in scripture. Yes. And so she's not connecting or relating to this kid at all. And she drags her and locks her in a closet. And it's just like, homegirl, let's red tent this shit. Maybe you come out in a week when you've thought about what you've done. 
So this is where we're starting. The only good thing that is that came out of this scene is that at least everyone got detention. Like the gym teacher had had it. And she's like, I really wanted to take away your ability to go to the prom. But instead, you're going to do a week of gym detention with me. And I'm going to have you out here doing jumping jacks in the hot sun. How do you like that? And they're like, we hate it. And she's like, too bad. So this is where Nancy flips out. Nancy Allen. Yeah. So this Chris Harkinson character is like, I'm not doing gym detention. You can suck my fucking dick. I'm out of here. And so she does get her prom privileges suspended. And in order to rectify (laughs) what's happened and in a way that she takes no responsibility for it whatsoever, she decides to get back at Carrie because Carrie's clearly the one that caused this. You know, the the throwing the tampons at her is what got them all in trouble. Uh, So she and her boyfriend decide to go and get a bunch of pig's blood, fill up a bucket with it, and then rig the whole prom so that Carrie wins prom queen and gets this bucket of blood dumped on her. That's kind of the iconic imagery that you see in the iconic moment. But the way that all happened, I thought, I didn't really appreciate that they try to make me feel like Amy Irving's character, Sue, and William Katz's character, Tommy, were like good people after all the bullshit we saw. (laughs) you. Thank you. I didn't appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you so much, because here's the thing. Carrie is an incredible, iconic film. I love it despite anything, pretty much. Even the fact that I truly forget... And I've seen this movie many times. I always forget that they are supposed to not have known about Mm. this shit. Mm. Right. And that's the thing about the film that I don't actually think it does a really great job of is making Amy Irving that character. Like uh, the only real way that you know that she is in any way contrite about the shit that they did in the locker room is that she basically tells Chris to shut up during that gym sequence where she's like, come on, everybody, let's overthrow the gym teacher. And she's basically like, shut up. Mm -hmm. That is really kind of the only clue to know that maybe she's having a change of heart. Because the, the other thing is that like, she just doesn't like even the moment where she's like trying to tell Tommy, like, Hey, ask her out. There isn't even really a lot of that that felt believable to me where she was just like, listen, I, you know, there's this girl that everybody picks on and we did a shitty ass thing and I'm tired of hanging out with these other mean girls, PJ souls and Nancy Allen suck. And I, and I want to Heather's them. Okay. And do me a solid and just like take her instead of me because you're also a good person too. Right? Like they don't set up their goodness enough to where when the prom happens, I'm always like, Oh, yeah. I forgot that they don't know about the pig's blood. Exactly. Right? Yeah, because you, I, I thought they were all in on it. Like, my memory was like, oh, they were all in on it with their friend and they all set her up. So I totally spaced that part out. Yeah. They don't do enough to set up the goodness, which might be more believable because I don't think that people are instantly remorseful when they realize they've done something wrong at that age. So it did feel a little bit believable that, like, she'd be like, all right, let me just try to smooth this over in my own way. Um which would 
my own way is kind of not being obvious or saying anything about my role in this, <laughs> but just trying to fix it without actually admitting I did anything wrong. Um, so that felt a little bit weird to me. But yeah, she fixes it with a, essentially another plot that's destined to fail. Like, that's the thing right. that I also don't get is like she heard her much. She's like, you know what? Let me just get my boyfriend to ask her out. And the funny thing is, is that the Betty Buckley character is actually saying like, okay, what are y'all up to? Like, this is fucking stupid. And they're both having that moment where they're like in, in the office and they're like, well, we just thought it would be a good idea. And Betty Buckley's like, listen, all right, don't be these assholes. Like, like, don't, what are you like nuts? Like leave this poor girl alone and don't ask her out. Miss Collins has had it. Yeah. She has had it. And even in that scene, that scene is really wild because they're kind of like laughing through it and like, what's the problem? Like, we're just doing a nice thing. So I didn't even believe them. I'm like, you're yes. not making this believable enough that you're going to give Carrie a good time. But she does. Like, Carrie kind of goes on to have the time of her life. But she's also freaked out. Like, she's asking tons of questions, like, constantly. Like, why are you asking me? And what do you like? I'm surprised there wasn't just like a mess of pencils and notebooks flying, telekinesising around her head the whole time because she was bugging out. But then she finally gets into it and has the night of her life, the night of her young life. She's having fun. She's doing her thing. Then here come these assholes, fucking Billy Nolan and Chris Harginson. And they just exact the worst kind of revenge. So Carrie covered in blood is the moment that even if you haven't ever seen this film, you've seen this scene um, because she kicks into overdrive and essentially before she sets fire to everyone in the school, she hoses them down. There's like this kind of sick snake like hose that comes out and she's hosing people down and she's getting her revenge by just looking at things and lighting them on fire. And then she walks out. And then the coolest scene in the world to me as a kid is when um, Billy Nolan and Chris escape, and so does Amy Irving. Like she's not in the building when it's on fire. But Chris tries to run her down while she's walking home. Because what do you do when you're covered in blood and you've just killed all your classmates? You just go home. And, <laughs> you know, and you know what? A fire truck just breezed right, right by her. Like no one's stopping for the teenage girl covered in blood in the 70s. <laughs> They're just gonna let her go. So she's going home. Chris is trying to run her down in this car. And Carrie just kind of stops and pulls this pose and the car flips and she kills them. Like the car just flips and <laughs> rolls. And I'm like, that is so cool. I don't know what I, I really was attracted to the weirdest parts of movies when I was a kid. But there was something very cool to me about the fact that they fucked around and found out. Essentially, this whole movie yeah. is they fucked around and found out. Well, and that is, I think, why people love this movie so much is because, first of all, I think the fear of the film comes from this idea that Carrie for maybe the first time is, is trying to trust somebody and entrusts her vulnerability, you know, and her Mm -hmm. trauma and they fucked her over. And, and maybe, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, maybe it is sort of more compelling at the end of the day to make the Amy Irving and William Cat characters a little bit more vague because you do question whether or not, you know, they were authentic and yeah. wanting to like give this girl the night of her life. Right. If they weren't also just trying to like pull some shit on her um, or even if it's 
consciously or unconsciously, you know, but it's that thing where like the payoff of it is fucking cathartic for the shit that they put her through for all the humiliation. And, you know, it's just sort of like that thing where you're like, yes, absolutely torch this place. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that's ethical, but do it, bitch. (laughs) Like, we love you. We're behind you. There's no redeeming qualities in anyone in this building except Miss Collins, maybe. But she also beats up students, so maybe not even her. I say that's deserved, honestly. (laughs) And what's really wild is like she goes home. And again, here's where we have to have this conversation about whether or not we talk about the ending. But I will say this. Any moment you walk into your house and your mother has lit a candle, every candle in town is inside your house, including two pillar tapered candles on the bed like on the mattress you know some shit's about to pop off <laughs> she had every candle lit in that goddamn house carrie comes home and is like washing the blood off of her and i won't spoil the ending but i will say that sissy spacek in this 15 facts about carrie movie that i read on mental floss um sissy spacek was so game to scare people and there's a moment at the end of this film where she's like no i gotta do that myself And it is great. It is great, 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 great. And I love the ending of this movie because Sue, the doctors are kind of like, you know, she'll be all right. You know, it'll be fine. And then she has this dream, essentially, where she's going to Carrie's house to put flowers on her. Her because Carrie's died at the end um, and Carrie's arm reaches up and snatches her and you snap back to reality and Sue is not going to be okay. And you're like, you know what? All right. (laughs) like sue's not all right sue's not all right and maybe she deserves to live with that (laughs) yeah well and that's the thing too is that very rarely in horror you see like the mental health check after the traumatic event like it's usually just like end of traumatic event who knows what happens to all of these scarred individuals yes i love this movie this is one of those movies that is it is a classic for a reason i think that generationally people will always be able to find something to love about this film i think everybody likes carrie everybody it is one of the most ultimate portrayals of teen angst and the hardships of teenage life i mean it's so iconic she is the reason why it's iconic i mean honestly how many times has that image of her in the dress that she made covered in blood been you know, parodied. She's an icon for that reason. And I'm just so glad you picked it. My only regret is that Amy Irving and William Katz characters didn't live and have curly haired children because they're all going to have curly hair. Oh, the naps, the naps, the instant dreadlocks <laughs> that the cat kid would be born with. I was like, yeah, yeah, these are two curly people. And they in did a relationship. Date. They dated in real life before they filmed this for like a little while. And I'm like, wow, mm. I didn't know that actually. Wow. That is a choice. I love this movie. Could have picked a better movie. Absolutely. You know what? It starts with blood and water and it ends with blood and water. And I kind (laughs) of love that bookend. Are you sure you're not a film person? Because honestly, you are. I'm just astute. I'm just a very astute observer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got a second sissy. By the way, her name is um, her full name is Mary Elizabeth Spacek. But she goes by sissy, which. I feel like never happens anymore. Like anybody named Mary Elizabeth is either going to be Mary Elizabeth, Beth, 
Liz, mm-hmm. but not a lot of sissies. Not you know? a lot of sissies. I wish That's there not- were more. Yeah, I do like it. I think it's. I think it sounds very southern. Um, okay, so my choice for this week, our queen, Sissy Spacek, is the fucking best. Is a movie from 1980. It's called Coal Miner's Daughter. It was directed by Michael Apted. A young lady with 21 number one records, Miss Corbett O'Neill. Baby, they're out there waiting on you now. You don't want to let them down. Don't tell me about letting them down. The first lady of country music, Miss Slovetta Lynn. Things is moving too fast in my life. Dude, if it's going to break us up, I'll quit. Successful people don't quit, baby. So, um, I know I didn't mention this in the intro, but, you know, she, Sissy Spacek, has been nominated um, six times for an Oscar. Uh, and she's only won one so far, but it's for this movie. So this was the one she won. And um, it was based off of the autobiography of the country music singer, Loretta Lynn. Um, essentially she grew up in a holler in Kentucky, which I'm sure everybody knows this by now, but basically holler means hollow in the parlance of that part of the South, which I only, I only learned about from watching justified. If I'm being completely honest. <laughs> I completely understand because I think a lot of people did, to be honest. But, you know, the real life Loretta Lynn grew up in a in Butcher Holler and she was in a coal mining family, which is also very typical of that part of the South and also a big part of Justified, which, by the way, we talk about Justified a lot because it's fucking great. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. I used to call it my straight guy show because I love it so fucking much. Every, like I stand, I'm a justified stand. So Every season is better than the last, and you can't believe it because there are things that they bring up in one season that you're like, "How are they going to get themselves out of this?" And then they do, and then they elevate it, and it's incredible. Yeah, that's. I, I told myself I was going to rewatch that show for for quarantine, and I never got around to it. <gasps> so that shit's happening starting tomorrow. Um. Anyway, well, first of all, I'm not going to go too, too much into Loretta Lynn's background, but in general, she's an amazing badass. Like, she's tough. She's beautiful. I love her music. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there is like a reason why I want to go around calling literally everything I do Fist City. Yes! Have you ever heard that song, Fist City? That's my karaoke song. Yes. The best two words put together. I mean, the lyrics of this song, you better close your face and get out of my way. (laughs) I want that tattooed on every inch of my body. Well, I mean, listen, we should call this podcast Fist City. All right. (laughs) I don't know if we can do that now, but we should have called it that. We were we were dumb to have not thought of it. (laughs) But honestly, like Loretta Lynn is an icon as well. I mean, there's actually there's this great episode of the podcast Cocaine and Rhinestones that Tyler does about Loretta Lynn and one of her songs that I encourage like everybody to check out. Um, I think it was from the last season. I just heard that he's doing a new season. So that's very it's very exciting because I love that podcast. But the Loretta Lynn episode he did was amazing. So. The director of Coal Miner's Daughter is Michael Apted, who I mentioned before, and he just passed away this year in January. Um, and he has a huge, huge filmography, both film and TV, and he's best known for directing the Up series. And I, I'm sure a lot of people know him for that. When are we getting 63 up in the States? I don't know. Like, I never know about the the when this happens for TV as well. Like when yeah. British stuff comes to America, like I'm like, yeah. how? when does that happen? And like, how does that work? 
Um, if anybody who works in British TV wants to write us, I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. Give us the inside scoop. Just send us a link to 63 Up and explain how it takes so long to get shit here. Because I, subscri- I subscribe to BritBox, okay? I should have it. Yeah, it's always been a mystery. But um, so Loretta apparently picked Sissy to play her based on a photograph that she saw. She had never even seen a, a movie of hers. Um, and then, you know, Sissy Spacek, I think initially was, from what I've read, she was kind of choosing between a couple different things. Like she wasn't necessarily sure she wanted to do Coal Miner's Daughter, but then eventually she said, yes, she went to Loretta Lynn, spent an afternoon listening to her, like telling stories, recorded them so she could get her accent and her singing voice right. And Honestly, I gotta say, it's amazing. She like did. she does, she did an incredible job. I know that she that's sings. what this movie is known for, but you know, no, but I, just... I didn't realize that she sings all the songs because I thought yeah. she sounds so much like Loretta Lynn that has to be Loretta Lynn singing. Yeah. No, yeah, her and Beverly D'Angelo sang, which is yeah. another point of why I think people really like this movie because, you know, they do all their own singing. And the funny thing is, is I'd read that Sissy Spacek pitched the idea of singing. Simply to not be in the movie, they thought, oh, if I if I pitch myself to sing the songs, they certainly won't hire me and then I get an out. Um, but they were like, actually, you did a really good job. So now you have to be in this movie. Sorry, <laughs> it backfired. So I, I also want to say this, too, because there's this really interesting thing about movies in the late 70s and early 80s in that. There was a lot of movies in this time period about country music. Mm. and. You know, I'm not entirely sure why that is, probably because of Urban Cowboy. Maybe it's like a holdover from like the sort of smoking the Bandit, Deliverance type of stuff that was happening in the 70s. Or maybe there was just also like a spike in the popularity of country music in like the late 70s, early 80s. Or maybe just like a lot of like focus on Southern life. I don't know. But, you know, there was a lot of movies in this time period that were about country music. So it was, yeah. it was not just Cole Matter's daughter and urban cowboy. It was like honeysuckle rose, the night, the lights went out in Georgia, rhinestone, tender mercies, songwriter. You know, this is when Dolly Parton was in all the movies, Chris mm-hmm. Christopherson, Jerry Reed, like Willie Nelson, like people were acting in like motion pictures. And, you know, as we talked about last month for black history month, I'm always interested and why suddenly do we have this proliferation of some kind of genre or some type mm-hmm. of film? You know, it's obviously because something made money and yep. now they just want to keep making money until it stops. Right. Exactly. It's just very interesting. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that you mentioned that Sissy was in her late or her mid 20s. Yeah, she was 25 when she did yeah. Carrie. So she would have been like 20. 20- nine 28 29 when she did this yeah she well basically when it came out she was 31 Mm -hmm. but in the beginning of this movie she's playing loretta lynn at 14 years old yep that is fucking incredible it's wild (laughs) and it's believable imagine being 31 and being like yo you can pass for 14 that's I mean, That's yo, so creepy. the range. I mean, there are women in Hollywood right now that are like, fuck, I wish I could do that. <laughs> oh, good. And men and men, because they're like, I could have been in high school musical. If I get a pass or 14, I can sing like a motherfucker, but I look like I'm 75. 
<laughs> exactly. So Coal Miner's daughter is basically about Loretta's life. She grows up in Butcher Hollow with her family, many brothers and sisters, her mom and dad. Her dad was played by Levon Helm, who at the time of this movie, he was only nine years older than Sissy, but that is her dad. <laughs> right? I absolutely love Levon Helm. Like he's fantastic. He is so fucking cute to me. I don't know if anybody's seen The Last Waltz. Yes. But he's adorable in The Last Waltz. I such a crush on him. And, you know, honestly, I think that this movie was the first time that he was acting outside of, you know, being a musician. Um, and I actually think he's a great actor. He was great. And the, the Last Waltz is my favorite concert film, I think. If pressed. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of so my favorite. good. Also, Van Morrison has never been funnier. <laughs> Doing those leg kicks. Those <laughs> kicks in that sausage tight ass suit from the 70s. Like I, he's the best unintentional comedian of his age. So good. So good. I'm so glad that you love it too. <laughs> but he was great in this. Leave my yeah, yeah, great. yeah. Um, so anyway, a little bit of a brief synopsis. Obviously, she's in Butcher Holler. She meets her future husband, Doolittle, named Do for short. Who is played by Tommy Lee Jones. He is older than her, in, you know, in real life and in the movie, obviously. And he was kind of this wild man when she meets him. And she's obviously very, like, smitten with him because he just seems kind of, like, fun and crazy. And it's very romantic. And in this movie, Tommy Lee Jones has died. I guess it's, like, dyed blonde or, like, orange hair. But it's kind of cute to me. I'm like, what's going on here? Like... Suddenly I'm like lusting for Tommy Lee Jones and like bad hair dye. A box of Clairol is all it takes. I don't I don't know. Why turn that's anyone happening. into Millie's dream boat. But you know, in the movie they meet, you know, obviously it's kind of like she's expected to marry him and have a bunch of his kids. And, you know, she ends up, they end up moving to Washington state. She starts singing and learning to how to play guitar that do gives her. And he's very encouraging of her initially. Yeah. And she starts a music career, despite the fact that she has had four kids by the time she was 19. I 14 to 19, a kid every year. I can't even remember being 19. At all. Like, I can't even, I don't even know what I was doing. I was definitely smoking like four packs of cigarettes a day. I was like running around town, being an idiot, trying to sneak into concerts and stuff. I can't imagine being a mom, let alone having four kids at 19. Different time. I understand. But, you know, that's that's the reality. And that's part of the reason that, like, the fact that she has a career at all is a miracle. Yeah. Oh, totally. Because that's what the movie is essentially about. It's about trying to get famous, playing at the Grand Old Opry for the first time. You know, the epicness of that, like in the country music world, like that is like the end all be all. The pressures of eventually becoming famous, trying to balance this entire life. What happens when like this is happening? Your dad passes away. Your marriage is strained. You have a nervous breakdown. You quit. Wonder if you'll ever go back. I mean, it's just a lot of that. A lot of the pressures of wanting something, wanting an artistic endeavor, wanting it to be your career, but then having kids, a husband, a husband who initially was very supportive, but then suddenly is like, well, now you're famous and I don't really know what to do with that. Like, Mm -hmm. how does that affect me? Tale as old as time. 
And that's where Fist City comes in. (laughs) It's a true miracle that she in this landscape where, you know, men still really dominated. Like, you know, there were women in country, obviously Patsy Cline. And, and, you know, there were women in country who made it big, but it was still very male dominated feel. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She had kids and the whole deal that she was really beholden to. Yeah. Well, and I would definitely want to talk about Patsy Cline because honestly, Patsy Cline, who is in the movie played by the wonderful Beverly D'Angelo. Quite honestly, I wish the entire movie was about Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline hanging out. I mean, the tag team duo we deserve. When Doolittle starts acting out over Loretta being famous and Patsy is like, girl, let's go. Like, I'm like, yes, I know that like Thelma and Louise doesn't happen for another like decade. But this is the origin story of this. Like, I want... The fucking Patsy and Loretta on the run road movie. Same, same, same. And they have such a sweet friendship. When Loretta first meets Patsy Cline, it's in a hospital. She's singing at the Grand Old Opry and Patsy Cline's husband comes down and is like, Patsy wants to meet you. So he takes her to the hospital. And her first thing is like, are you mad at me because I sang your song? And it's just so sweet. And Patsy Cline's like, hell no, like you're better than me. Look at over here. Let's be friends. <laughs> I know. When she, when Patsy Cline winks at Loretta offstage at the Opry, I want to cry. I'm just I like, know. I fucking love this shit so much. And honestly, if, if, I, if you want to get down to brass tacks for me, I wish there was a coal miner's daughter cinematic universe where they had their own spinoff show on like HBO Max or some shit. Like I need Patsy and Loretta like warped history fucking cinematic universe spinoff show. Yes. Okay. I love it so much. I love it so much. And then, you know, obviously the death of Patsy Cline in the film is very sad moment. And obviously at that moment, I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to watch the rest. But of course I do, because it's the movie is incredible. But when it comes down to it, like for me, it's one of the best movies about a real life person, let alone country music. You know, like I said, lots of movies about country music. I don't know if people actually know that, but there is. Um, And I, and when it, when it comes back down to it, it, I keep coming back to Southerness and movies about the South, you know, Kentucky, I think is different than Georgia for sure. You know, cause there's this whole history of the coal mining there and the haulers and whatnot. That doesn't really totally exist in Georgia as much as it does there. But you just know, like, like when I see Coal Miner's Daughter, when I see a movie about the South, when I see Justified, I'm like, you know what? Like, it reminds me kind of of home, like the scenery and the pacing and the lifestyle. I mean, fuck it, man. Like, I love a pie contest and people yes. riding around in Jeeps with like no doors and no tops and flowery fucking wallpaper. Like, whatever you got. I'm here for that. And I don't know. Sissy is so sweet and so wonderful in this movie. I, I just love it. And like I said, I, it's she won an Oscar for a reason. Mm-hmm. The singing is great. The story is great. And I just love the vibe of it. I love like her little knit cap and her Ugh. curly hair. And it's just so cute. And it just this movie puts me in a good spot, I think. Yeah. And, to, you know, to me, like there's many movies we could have picked, but I think that we both picked good ones. I mean, honestly, like I think that the, it's maybe the two that she's best known for. To yeah. Be honest. And it's pretty expansive. Like, I, I really love Coal Miner's Daughter. And I'm someone who did not grow up listening to country music, even though my grandma's favorite band, one of her favorite bands is Alabama. I cannot explain <laughs> it. 
she and me in sixth grade would have gotten along real nicely. She goddamn loves Alabama. Like when they would win awards at the Grammys and shit, she's like, that's my guys. And I'm like, how? I've never heard a single song of theirs in this house. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I didn't I did feel like kind of a I felt like I was kind of kept at arm's distance from country music for a long time because of that stereotypical perception of the South. So when I started listening to things like, again, through my grandma, like the Judds or you know, listening to things like Fist City or like hearing this whole different way of getting into the storytelling element of it and the narrative. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get this. Like, I get this now. And I think that one thing that really stands out to me about this film, it's about a woman who's strong, but not overly tough. Like she gets through her shit. She does. She lives her life, but she's not like obtuse about it. And she's not like a hardened changed person by it so she's really able to like enjoy her success and really feel the depths of her sorrow and she's a full person like she has had a lot of tragedy in her life in real life but to see this relationship with her and and do there's a scene at the end that just like brings me to tears every time because they kind of have this little you think they're having an argument but then you realize that's the way they communicate and then when they leave in his jeep because he's always with a jeep and her hair is kind of flying around and she's smiling at him and he's smiling at her and i'm just like this is their relationship like they're not sugarcoating this shit there's hard times there's tough shit it's not like that stand by your man kind of thing but it is kind of like i'm a human being who has opinions and i'm going to tell you about yourself sometimes and we can still get through this shit yeah i just thought it was beautiful i won't say that this is inherent to southern women but it's certainly a trait of of certain women that i've known from the south which is that I think that there is this sort of like resilience quality. I think a lot of it too, though, is that they're tough and they're resilient, but they still have a a sort of like grace to it. Like Mm -hmm. there's not, like you said, she could have had a machine gun and just like blown everyone to bits like Rambo three style for all the pain and shit that she endured. But she's willing to sort of like work through it, knowing that like, Hey, this ain't perfect, but you know, I'm trying to make the best of it. Like, I love my husband. I love my family. I love where I'm from. And like, I, you know, I'm just going to try to do as much as I can the best way that I can. And I don't know. I love that. And I think that's kind of like what I see in Sissy Spacek is what I see in women like Loretta Lynn and like kind of something that I hope, I hope to one day be that kind of woman. You know what I mean? It's just sort of like a lot of bad shit happens and you can still you know, have a little bit of a sense of humor about it or at least have some grace. You know what I mean? I think that's beautiful. I yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And I do think she played the fuck out of this character. It cannot be easy to step into the the life of a real person, a real person you admire, a real person who's still alive, a real exactly. person. Like it cannot be easy to step into that role and then to sing their songs and to kind of mimic and inhabit their life so fully that you can't even tell that it's not the real person singing. I just thought she really brought something to this that I don't think an actor who is who wasn't from the South could have brought to this. Yeah, I agree with that. I know that we're both fans of hers. And honestly, like, you know, you made my birthday real nice. Oh, well, that's so, thank truly you. all I wanted, because I'm definitely a fan <laughs> of hers, but I'm a bigger fan of yours. Oh, God. I wanted you to have well, a good birthday. You. Oh, do you want to tell these folks what we're doing next week? Because it is not birthday related, but it is still (laughs) dope as hell. Oh, my God. I would love to tell you the movies for next week. 
Okay, people. Next week, our films are Coffee from 1973 and Jackie Brown from 1997. Guess the theme. Just guess. Just, just guess. Just guess it. Come just on. Try. <laughs> just try. Do it. Well, look, keep having fun with the bracket. We've got the quarterfinal and semifinal coming up next week. You've got till the 31st to vote. And then on April 3rd, on Saturday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, we're going to read the results live on Instagram Live. (laughs) IG Live. So when you see us pop up, when you see the icon pop up, you know, don't like go, oh, someone I know is doing another IG Live. You'll actually want to watch this. Don't do what we do. Actually watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. Well, thanks again. For being you, Danielle. Thanks Aww. to everybody listening. Thank you, Sissy Spacek, for being who you are. And happy birthday! Thank you. It's been the best one so far in many recent years. <laughs> you're you're a Virgo now. It's fine. Christian Leighton or Sissy Spacek, we're gonna have the party of a decade when this is all over. <laughs> I am buying cardigans for everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media manager is Taryn Mazza. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 